Listener supported. WNYC Studios. The season is designed to be listened to from episode one. So if you haven't heard the first two episodes yet, we suggest you start at the beginning. Previously on the season. You guys are good football players. I keep trying to tell you, you're good football players. It's strictly not between your ears. You always want to win the game, you know, so it was a little disappointing. But we did some good things. Uh, we definitely got some stuff to work on. You never forget the feeling of winning, and that's, that's what we're trying to get back to here is winning. I mean, to have a program that loses and, it's, and the expectation is that it will lose is a program not worth having. You want to make a football player laugh? Pull him over after practice and ask him about books. And I'm going to make the argument that it might be relevant, which is uh, Lit Hum and The Core. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, Dominic, you just like bent over in silent laughter. Why? All Columbia undergrads are required to take two years of courses on the classics, the Iliad, Plato's Symposium, Don Quixote. It's been compared to boot camp for literature. They call it The Core. Today, my producer Matt and I are talking with two defensive linemen, Hunter Little and Dominic Perkovic. I mean, the core's great, you know, I mean, this is very irrelevant. This doesn't really have anything to do with football, but Columbia does pride itself in its core. I guess you could say you learn a lot, but it is a whole lot of work, and it's a lot of reading that is very difficult to do, especially while playing a sport. So that's why I laughed. I just, I mean, you know, I enjoy some of the reading, but it's a little overkill. We asked the head of the Lit Hum department, uh, Julie Crawford, we are like, what would Homer think about football? Like, it's war and pageantry. So Dom and Hunter are both looking at Matt like he just started speaking ancient Greek. And Darren Edwards, the defensive line coach, who is also in this conversation, he just turns around and walks away. Sorry, we're like exploring an idea and seeing like, if it works. No, 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 no. I'm sorry, you said, um, what would who think? What would Homer? Not Homer. Iliad, the Odyssey, the guy who wrote those. And then Hunter sees the ball that we've laid at his feet, and he knows just exactly what to do with it. Uh, well, there's something to be said for glory. I don't know if I can speak so much for Homer as so much for someone like Achilles or any of the heroes that followed him. You know, there's something to be said for being out on a Saturday and playing a game and being in the moment and, you know, making a great play or seeing Dom make a great play. And that's, that's what you live for is, is those moments. Glory. You can find it reading great books. You can grab it on the field, sacking the opponent's quarterback. Hello and welcome to the season. I'm Ilya Meritz. It's a maybe turnaround story told through football week by week. Al Bagnoli is the miracle worker coach who's supposed to make this happen. This episode will meet a man who's had an impressive career in Silicon Valley, someone Steve Jobs turned to for advice. He's been successful pretty much everywhere, except when he was coaching the Lions. I figured out how to do it in business. I still haven't figured out how to do it in football. We'll also bring you the results of the Lions game against Georgetown. Not good. First, every organization has its unwritten rules. For the Lions, one of those rules is no bragging about past glory. I learned this by accident, talking with Dom and Hunter. In the Lions' first game against Fordham, they both had sacks, meaning they pushed the quarterback to the ground behind the line of scrimmage and forced the opposing team to give up yards. It felt great. I was really excited, you know, celebrated with my teammates after making that play. Um, And it was my first sack, too, of my college career, so I was very excited. And I'm playing with a lot of older guys, um, and they've taken me under their wing, and they've taught me a lot, so I've been doing a lot of growing and learning. 
do a lot of sex in high school? Were you known for it? Stop the tape. This was a trap, but I swear I did not know it at the time. Dom, I'm sorry. Yeah, in high school, um, you know, in six games I had 12 sacks. Yeah, I did pretty well in high school, but that's, yeah, that's a whole nother. <laughs> we got a real stud over here. Real stud. Bragging about your high school career, not cool. No, it's that's not scrub cool. Talk. Scrub talk. That's scrub talk. Yes, that's scrub talk. You learned that right away. Yeah, that's the first thing I learned when I got here. <laughs> and now it's the first thing you enforce. It's exactly the first thing I enforce. You're no longer in high school. It's, it's the next step up. I ask what it feels like to take a man down. In my own fantasies, just walking around New York City, I'm constantly dreaming about pushing pedestrians out of my way. So is it like that? Hunter smiles. <laughs> there's, a, there's a guy back in the day, uh, his name is Deacon Jones, and he coined the term sack. Um, and, you know, unofficially, he is considered the, the, the king of it. He is, you know, considered to have the most sacks, and, and he called it putting the entire offense in a bag and beating the bag. You know, that's a sack. So, And that's doing a sack, right? Yeah, that is. It, it demoralizes the whole offense because you've gotten through all ten guys that are out there to get to one guy, the decision maker. And when you do that, I mean, that demoralizes an offense. One reason people felt pretty good about the Fordham game, even though Columbia lost, Columbia sacked Fordham five times. Fordham didn't get any sacks. Now imagine what the Lions could do facing a weaker opponent, like Georgetown. That's their second game, and they're playing at home. One man who has traveled a long distance to be here is probably the person who spent the most time of anyone on this planet trying to make the Lions good. His name is Bill Campbell, and he lives in California now, where he made a fortune as an executive for Intuit and Apple. But long before that, he studied at Columbia. He played offensive guard and linebacker for the Lions, and he went on to coach the team, from 1974 to 1979. Those were happy years? It was fun to do. Oh, no, you can't even think that, you know. But, you know, we had, we made, every, every time it was uh, two steps forward and then two steps back. Now, before we even sit down to talk, something happens that I think is worth mentioning because it shows the role Campbell plays inside this school. The new women's lacrosse coach is passing by in the hallway, and someone pulls her into the room to meet Campbell. And before they've hardly said hello, he leans in and says to her, Did we give you any money yet? Did we give you any money yet? The coach looks back at him with this face of polite bafflement. She says something like, well, we love this building. By the way, we're in the Campbell Sports Center with its weight rooms and offices, so building, meet your namesake. And Bill Campbell says to her, yes, but did I write you a check for your team? Bill Campbell, who only won 12 games in six years coaching the Lions, will pay any price to make Columbia win at sports. Okay, let's get to the interview. When Bill Campbell coached, there was no sleek athletic center, and no one was writing him checks. I've heard you were playing in a wooden stadium at the time. Is that right? Well, I, I wouldn't call it that. I would say that it was kind of a, you know, a, a bunch of lumber in green that was kind of rolled over in a pile. <laughs> and, uh, you know, when I came back here, my wife, uh, I came back for... I'd stayed away for a while. I just felt like, you know, I was so depressed about everything, the way it had all happened. I'm in California. I'm doing well. Come on back out for this game or that game or homecoming or whatever. And I'm going, oh, man. So I go out there and I saw the new stadium. She walked out there and looked in and burst into tears. She said, oh, my God, if they'd have had this when you were there, you know, that might have been a different outcome. That was 31 years ago. 
And in fact, the stadium did not bring the Lions good fortune. The famous 44-game no-win streak began with their first season playing in that stadium. And how you succeed in sports, it is still a mystery to Bill Campbell. No, I figured out how to do it in business. I still haven't figured out how to do it in football. Okay, so here's where I think the business world and football are a lot alike, because a lot of people think in a business, in a business like Apple, where you have played a role, or a business like Intuit, particularly the people who are at the top, make a huge difference. Everything rides on having a clear-eyed leader, a charismatic leader, a leader who can learn, a leader who can inspire. Is that the same? Yeah, I, I, I resist using the word charismatic. And I always said, when I worked with Steve Jobs for so many years, in his early days, he was charismatic. But he couldn't become the leader until he became a good manager. I mean, he could be inspirational and all that, but he had to learn how to manage process. And that's what, that's what El Bagnoli does. He knows how to hire people. He knows how to put them in the right places. And he knows how to get processes done that will accomplish what he wants. I want to better understand before, before we move on, what's the role that you played with Steve Jobs? Is it true that you were sort of his, like, his sounding board or the guy he went to when he was in a crisis? Uh, no. <laughs> well, you had I, a relationship to him, I so what was it? Uh, he was my best friend for the long, longest time. And I don't talk to the press about it. Uh, the intimacy that we had is just between us. I don't ever talk about that. Can you give me an example from your own observed experience of Steve Jobs learning to be a manager, about being not a good manager at the beginning? One year we had a little problem with you know, one of the iPhone releases, and we were also going to put out an operating system release. He took about a third of the people that were working on the operating system, put them over on, on the iPhone to do QA, uh, so that, that that was much more important to get that product out on that particular time. QA, quality assurance, quality meaning assurance. It, it works for the people who Absolutely. have the product. He didn't let a small group go out and put out a shoddy product. He thought the phone was the single most important thing, and he rallied the people to come over and do that. But that's a management practice. That wouldn't have been Steve in those early days. You know, He might have just started screaming at everybody and you know, hollering, trying to get everybody to do it and, and let the product go out the door, taking a risk that there may be something wrong. That was management. He brought people that he trusted, and that's how they got it out the door. That's what Al Bagnoli does. A single-minded push towards one goal, be it a cell phone or the next touchdown, accomplished by focusing on getting every little detail right. I think you're going to say that you're not in any position to give advice, but what advice do you have for Al Bagnoli and for the Lions this year? Oh, I listen, Al's been through it all. He's been through winning season, championship seasons, losing seasons, disappointing seasons. He knows how to handle adversity. He knows how to handle success. Bill Campbell, player, coach, benefactor, he will not stop until he helps the Lions succeed. One more thing. What's great about football? Why should young men play the sport? So it's, it's hard to say it better than it is the ultimate team game. You cannot be successful without the team all operating uh, on the same page. You know, when you snap the ball, when you play defense, when you do everything that you need to do, 11 people all have to be in coordination and in sync. It just has to be. So that's one part of it. 
Two is there's a combative part of it, you know, where you've got to be fierce, ferocious to, to play. I mean, yes, you can be skillful, and you should be skillful. You have to be skillful. But the fact is that you have, with that, you have to be enormously competitive. And when I say fierce, you cannot be afraid of physical contact. Okay, now it really is game time. About 5,000 people are here to watch. Lions fans in the bigger main section, Hoyas fans across the field. In the first half, it seems the teams are pretty evenly matched. Columbia is the first to score with a field goal, but Georgetown is never more than a step behind. With seconds remaining in the half, Georgetown has just evened the score with a touchdown. It's now 10-10, and the Hoyas kick off to the Lions. It's a bouncy kick, Columbia can't catch it, and a Georgetown player scoops up the ball. The next three downs seem to happen in a dream state. The Hoyas run the ball right back into Columbia's end zone. Easy, like they were taking out the trash. In the space of 15 seconds, Georgetown has scored two touchdowns, a claim to the lead 16-10. What just happened? That's the end of the first half. In the second half, I feel like I'm watching the old Lions play, even though I've only seen archived videos. The Lions make a lot of mistakes, and Georgetown takes advantage of them. Missed field goal kicks, lots of penalties, more fumbled balls. In the end, Georgetown wins 24-16, which sounds a lot closer than this game feels. And if you saw the Lions put up a fight against Fordham one week earlier, this is not the game you expected to see. The Lions had eight penalties, twice as many as Georgetown, and zero sacks. Georgetown had two. Coach will give an opening statement, and then questions, please, for the student-athletes, and then Coach Bagnoli. Coach looks glum and tired. Yeah, I mean, this was a uh, disappointment, I think, to us all. Uh, We came in, we talked all week about, you know, trying to earn a victory that nobody was going to give you anything, and uh, we, we just unfortunately made... Uh, too many mistakes. We're still a work in progress. You know, we got a short week heading into Princeton, so there's not much time to feel sorry for yourself. But I thought this was certainly a winnable game and a game that I think we all would like to play again if we could. In 1961, the Lions tied Harvard for an Ivy League title. They're one and only. Bill Campbell was captain of the team that year. Ever since then, for more than 50 years, Bill Campbell has been periodically picking up the Rubik's Cube that is the Lions. He's looking at it from all angles and trying to put the colors back in their place. First as a player, then as a coach, then as a trustee, benefactor, fan. The Lions who can boast about being champions like Bill Campbell, well, they're all in their 70s now. And talking about past glory, it's still scrub talk. A couple days after losing to Georgetown, the Lions are back at practice. Coach tells them, everybody here knows we're talented enough to win games. And really, we've been our biggest enemy, as much as our opponents have been. The Lions now have two losses and eight more opportunities to win. What can you tell us about Princeton? Have you been studying their film? Yeah, no, it'll be another great challenge. They're a very explosive offense. They're high tempo, so they run a lot of plays. They run a lot of formations. You know, they've jumped all over opponents and scored a bunch of points. So it, it'll be a very challenging game for us on the road. But yet, it it'll, it'll be, should be a fun game for us. Coming up on the season, the Lions' first Ivy League opponent, Princeton. It's a Friday night game, and all the forecasts say it's going to be driving rain. Also, the unexpected, totally unlikely series of events that brought Al Bagnoli to a rock-bottom Columbia. 
We are still collecting your stories about the coach who made a difference in your life. Send us a voice memo to the season at WNYC.org. Tell us what they said that helped you have a breakthrough. It doesn't have to be about sports. The season is produced by Matt Collette and mixed by Casey Means. We're edited by Karen Frillman with Sean Bowditch and Charlie Herman. Jim Schachter is WNYC's vice president for news. Some of the music you've heard was recorded by the Columbia University Marching Band. I'm Ilya Meritz. Thank you for listening. One last note, we say goodbye this week to a voice you have heard only in tiny snatches in this podcast, but she's been instrumental, Darlene Camacho. Her job title is Associate Athletic Director for Communications, but that does not nearly do her justice. In reality, she is den mother and shrink to the Lions. Coaches change, Darlene remained over 13 years. This woman is fiercely protective of the team, as Matt and I found out on more than one occasion. And listen to what she does to coax an answer out of a player. Yeah, you can sit here and think about it, but think about that for a second. Yeah. Think about you as a bright-eyed, bushy-tailed freshman coming in here thinking that everything is going to be rosy and grand and fantastic. And, th- and think about what have you learned about what it takes to do anything on that field or at school. I mean, you talk to me about it all the time. You're just not, you're just not putting it together with the question. It's all the stuff that you talk to me about. Darlene, auf Wiedersehen. We wish you lots of luck in your new job in Germany.